You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, before we get into any news and notes, um, considering Bears and Packers right now are in an all-out freaking war, um, it's actually very similar to last year because the war really has, unfortunately, more to do with who's worse than who as opposed to who's better than who. Last year, it was all about, ha-ha, you have the 32nd-ranked wide receivers and we're 31st, na-na-na-na. We did end up winning that war in the end, obviously. Their wide receivers were worse than ours. But I want to, as, as um, someone on the front lines of this battle, I just want to cover a couple little points here. One of which is, I'm kind of sad that we didn't do yesterday a camp update, because I could have given some updates on other teams in the division and specifically the Chicago Bears because it was a freaking disaster. Now I, I want to talk about a few things because Bears fans are really excited that the Packers offense hasn't won. Number one, that doesn't mean that the Packers offense has been bad. I've actually been kind of surprised uh, that the Packers haven't won. But even further context into that, it isn't even an overall thing. It's who wins a certain um, drill. So Jordan Love can go out there and freaking carve up the defense the entire time. And then they'll get into like the two-minute drill, and if they don't score a touchdown, the defense won. So that's additional context that is needed that, of course, Bears fans have no idea when they just read a tweet that says the, the Packers have lost to the defense, or the offense has lost to the defense five out of five camps. Has nothing to do with the offense being bad five times, but they don't know that, they don't care, they're stupid. But some further context is needed even beyond that because all things are not necessarily equal. If you remember, the Green Bay Packers had last year a pretty middle-of-the-road defense overall. You can look at later in the season, and it's different, or earlier in the season, and it's significantly worse. But the Bears' offense, for those few times that it actually looks competent, is not going up against the Packers' defense. They're not going up against Jair or Razul, who are significantly better than any of the Bears' cornerbacks. They're not, going, not dealing with the amount of pressure that Jordan Love is going to get from actual pass rushers, which the Bears don't have. Now, the Chicago Bears defense was 32nd in the NFL last year. Dead last. And yes, I know they added linebackers. I think one of which is currently injured. One of their linebackers, not one of the new ones, I don't think. But anyways, 32nd. Now, yesterday, the Bears offense lost to the defense. But they didn't lose to the 32nd ranked defense. It's actually significantly worse than that. They lost to the second string defense. The starting offense went up against the worst defense in the NFL's backups and got the crap beat out of them. Not they lost that one drill. They look good, but they lost that drill. No, they got the crap beat out of them by the worst defense in the NFL's backups. For reference, a lot of their starters are backups. So it's, in some cases, the backups backups. Let me read you a little bit of this. Tough day for the Bears offense. This is via Josh Schrock. He is a Bears insider for NBC Sports Chicago, uh, part of the Under Center podcast, PFWA member, formerly NBC Authentic, N-E-S-N, whatever. 
goes on to say, outside of a successful two-minute drill that ended in a field goal, I don't know that that's massively successful. If the Packers end a drill in a field goal, that's considered a loss. So I guess we have different standards here in Green Bay. The first-team offense was beaten up by the second-string defense. Bears' first-team defense dominated the second-string offense and had a lot to say about it. He goes on to highlight an article, and he posts a couple little um, bullet points about his article for this day. A day to forget for Justin Fields in the offense. Bears' defense dominates and lets the offense know about it over and over. Sights and sounds and observations from Wednesday's practice. Should we read a little bit? Let's read a little bit. The Bears practiced for two hours and 20 minutes on Wednesday at Hallis Hall, and the defense, be it the first or second string, owned almost every moment of the team's padded practice. It's only their second padded practice, by the way. So as soon as the pad goes, pads go on, amazingly, this whole Justin Fields to DJ Moore connection that is just unstoppable suddenly isn't very unstoppable anymore, is it? The defense had a day. Quarterback Justin Fields did not. It's not something to hem and haw about. It was a bad day. Fields and Bears' first-team offense were stymied all day by both the first- and second-team units. The tough offensive day culminated in a brutal 7-on-7 drill with a move-the-ball period in which the offense did not pick up a first down. On the first rep, Fields looked short left to tight end Robert Tunyon. Oh, man, let me tell you something about Robert Tunyon. Bears fans are just convinced this guy is, is the next coming of, you know, peak Jimmy Graham. The pass hit the tight end in the hands, bounced up in the air, and was intercepted by rookie cornerback Tyreek Stevenson. Fields' next pass was intended for Chase Claypool over the middle of the field, but it sailed high, grazed off the tip of the receiver's fingers, and was picked off by safety Jaquan Brisker. That's two in a row. Just to be clear, I just saw a tweet yesterday talking about Russell Wilson has five interceptions already in camp. My first thought was, that's it? Because I've been, I, I haven't been keeping track of Fields this entire time. But prior to this camp, so starting Monday, I think he had four in the last three. Just with these two, that makes it six in the last four training camps. Six. I don't know about the first couple. Six in the last four. Fields tried to bounce back with a deep corner throw to DJ Moore. Here's that connection, boy. I tell you what, I've been watching a lot of videos. They've been talking about where does this connection come from? It's a deep connection. They're talking about on the field, off the field. They give each other massages like it's a deep connection, you know? Fields tried to bounce back with a deep corner throw to DJ Moore, but the throw was late, and that sounds familiar, allowing cornerback Jalen Johnson to close on the receiver and bat the ball away. The fourth rep, <laughs> so we've got like three picks in a row, basically. The fourth rep was also not one to remember. Moore broke open down the right sideline, but Fields tried to hit Darnell Mooney on the intermediate crosser instead. That's weird. Why, why would you do that if, if DJ Moore is wide open down the right sideline? Why are you throwing it to Darnell Mooney? That's weird. Mooney had a step, but Fields' throw was wide of the mark and fell incomplete. Oh, geez. He says that 7-on-7 period was just an appetizer for the Bears' offensive struggles. In a later 11-on-11 period, the Bears' first-team offense had three sets of downs. To pick up a first down, they went 0-for-3. Attempt 1. Fields faked to the back on the first down and tried to boot it out to the right, but Terrell Lewis read the play perfectly and notched a sack. A second down handoff, Khalil Herbert picked up a few yards, but the running back dropped a third down screen. I thought Khalil Herbert was going to be an elite running back, which, hilariously, you want, you want to hear something else hilarious? If you look at the Bears' depth chart, this is just the insanity of, of the Chicago Bears. I saw somebody make a comment laughing about Deontay Foreman, and somebody popped in. They're like, you just watch how elite this guy's going to be. You know who else is supposed to be elite? Rashawn Johnson, their fourth-round rookie. You know who else is supposed to be elite? Khalil Herbert, the guy that just dropped this pass. That's three running backs that are apparently going to be elite. But here's the thing. The number one running back 
is their quarterback. He's the one that's going to get the... If anyone cracks 1,000 yards, it's going to be Justin Fields. In fact, that's how it was last year. Justin Fields cracked 1,000. None of the other running backs did. But here's the other thing. They also want to go out and get running backs. All the guys they have, according to Bears fans, are great. But guess who wants to go out and make a move for the, for the Colts running back? Bears fans do. They make no freaking sense. Attempt number two. Fields opened the drill with a quick pass to Mora, but cornerback uh, Michael Ojemudia quickly downed the receiver after a one-yard gain. Then they picked up a five-yard pass, which started kind of a little dust-up. And then a swing pass on third down, because that's what the Bears do. Should we try to throw to the sticks? Nah. Let's do an easy completion and see if we can pick up the yards, and they can't. Attempt number three. Fields took a shot down the field to Mooney, but the throw drifted inside, and the receiver could not work back to the ball to haul it in. So it was a bad throw. That's what happens when you don't throw screens, man. Second down, Travis Gibson blew up a run play, which caused offensive uh, coordinator Luke Getze to implore his unit to pick it up. So Luke Getze's screaming at his offense to get in the game. How's that offensive line doing, by the way? I thought they were so much better. That's weird. And then Fields hit Tunyon in the flat. On a third down, but the defense stops it. So again, third down, are we going to throw to the sticks? Nope, we're going to throw a a little swing pass out to Tunya and see if he can pick up the yards, which of course he can't. And the defense sniffed it out. You know how they know? Because it's what they always do. And then, here's the other funny part. So, this whole thing is over and done with, right? You know how we've been talking a lot about culture and how I feel like that's been something holding back this team? There just hasn't been this, like, cohesive unit thing. I feel like there's a bunch of individuals who are really determined to be good. And that's great. And that's all I've ever really wanted. And, and this whole um, locker room unity thing I never really cared about until recently, when, when we were filled with talent and just not able to win. I was kind of forced to realize the importance of it. Right? Aaron Rodgers, is, he cares about greatness. Jair, it's all about greatness. He's going to be great. Rashawn, he's going to be great. But there's not a lot of like, hey guys, let's be great together kind of a thing. And I feel like that's sort of a new concept with a little small nucleus. It hasn't really fully branched out. I mean, I shouldn't necessarily... The DBs have kind of been that way a little bit. But now we got, you know, Jordan and Christian and and Dobbs. And I feel like it's a little nucleus in the middle that I hope kind of spreads out. But if we're looking at a a great example, the Lions are the example. You know, it just can't deny it. They have dominated this whole being great despite the talent because of the amount of belief that we have as a unit. We work together as a team. We fight for each other the whole nine yards. I don't know all 32 teams and their dynamics, but the worst example of this that I know is the Chicago Bears. It's really just bad, and it's something that doesn't really get brought up enough, not even by me. Talent aside, the locker room is kind of a disaster. The culture, I think, there is a disaster. Remember, Darnell Mooney was offered a contract by the Bears, and he said no because he wanted to get out of there, and he wanted to go play for a team that cared about winning. And remember, even prior to this, we had several people that were asking to get out of there. Most of those people are gone now, and there's a bunch of other guys that, you know, they're not asking to leave because, let's be honest, they're not starters and they won't get a job anywhere else. You really think Justin Jones, Mr. Uh, Anti-Packers fan guy, you think that guy's going to start anywhere else in the league? I don't think so. In fact, there's a good chance he doesn't even start for the Bears this year. I mean, I don't think Javon Dexter or Zach Pickens, the two guys that they drafted, are going to be great as rookies or ever, for that matter, who knows. But beating out Justin Jones is not necessarily a uh, massive hill to climb. But anyways, they, they go to the press conference, and um, Luke Getze kind of talks about, you know, he's, he's, I mean, it really wasn't a very good press conference, as far as if you're a Bears fan, it's not what you really want to hear. He made the comment that there are mistakes every day, which, you know, I mean, 
I'm sure there are some mistakes by every team, but it just seems to be sort of this laid back, like, we're not really a competing team right now. You know, we're, Bears fans seem to be of the mind that they went through their rebuild process already and they have rebuilt the team and now they're ready to go. And I don't get that vibe from the Bears coaching staff whatsoever. In fact, he made a joke right out of the gate, like something about like, how's the team doing? Like, oh yeah, we're, we're ready to compete for a Super Bowl or something, right? And then just laughed about it. They're very clearly not. But Justin Fields comes to the podium then and he makes some comments about how he apparently gave a lecture to his teammates about energy. He said after the game, he talked to the guys, he's like, we gotta, we gotta match their energy. Like, they're talking trash and we're not talking any trash. Like, we gotta, we gotta provide that same level of energy back, back at them. And then, who was it? Was it, I think it was Darnell Mooney came to the press conference. And of course, the narrative is, he echoed Justin Fields' sentiments. No, not really. His comments when he came to the podium after Justin Fields was that it starts with the quarterback, and he's the one that has to bring the energy, and we're going to match his energy. So if there isn't enough energy, it's his fault. So Justin Fields says he lectured his teammates about not having enough energy, and Darnell Mooney goes to the podium and says, yeah, he's the problem, he's the reason we don't have that energy. Now, of course, it was much more cordial than that. You know, Justin Fields didn't directly throw anybody under the bus. He just mentioned that he kind of lectured his teammates about it. And Darnell Mooney's like, oh, and he, and he does. He brings energy once. But, you know, sometimes you got to smack him on the back of the head and be like, come on, dude, wake up. It's a football game. We need a little bit more juice from you. This is exactly, th- this actually reminds me a little bit of the 2018 Green Bay Packers when, when the culture was just in the, in, in the freaking dumpster. One of the things that I knew about the 2018 Green Bay Packers is if they came out essentially and went three and out, they were done. Like the whole team just sunk to zero, right? That was the year I've mentioned before. They'd score a touchdown and nobody would celebrate. They'd just go back to the sidelines. Like it just it just was bad. But they they just quit immediately. They 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 had no like ability to bounce back and, and keep fighting. Ultimately it comes down to a belief in yourself. And I think that's gonna be a big problem for the Bears. You know, and, and there's always that big stat about you know, winning close games or whatever. We, we assume that that's kind of a 50-50 toss-up thing and, and, you know, you shouldn't ever expect to win more or lose more. But I think the Bears are probably going to come in a little bit under because they don't have that belief in themselves. Now, of course, that's something that can be built. And if they beat the Packers week one, that's going to help them build some confidence. But the fact of the matter is at some point, they're going to be faced with the very real reality that they're a bad football team and they're going to start losing games and that's going to cause things to spiral. In fact, that's what happened last year. They beat the 49ers and it's like, oh, we beat a playoff team and they slid in water. And apparently that's the greatest thing that any football team has ever done. They slid on water. It's so amazing. And uh, they went on to win a couple games, three to be exact. But at some point, the losing just took over and they lost 10 in a row. They just lost all belief in themselves. They lost 10 in a row. They didn't win a single game the last 10 games. Anyways, one final thing before we move on here. There's been a report that's been buzzing like crazy, which is, I'm actually so glad that it happened because it forced a lot of people who have been asleep at the wheel at this Justin Fields thing to wake up. Justin Fields has received the most MVP votes of anybody. Now, to be clear, this does not mean that he is the most likely, according to people, to win MVP. It has to do with what his odds are. So there's a disparity between where his odds are set and what people think his odds are. And there's the biggest disparity when it comes to Justin Fields. That's the reason there's the most votes. But what does that mean? Well, it means one of two things. Because it's perception versus reality, or, or I guess another way to put it would be, it's the hype versus the Vegas odds. Well, it either means 
Vegas is out of their freaking mind and they're a bunch of idiots for setting the line where they set it, or the hype is completely out of control. It's very obvious to me which one is the right situation. Vegas has put him at very low MVP odds because Vegas does not believe in him. Because data says there's no reason to believe in him. But the hype from the media is telling everyone that he has very good odds. And, and you've got people out there making wild claims that he will win MVP. Or actually, the most recent said he won't win because the team is bad, but he'll play like an MVP. Which makes no sense, because the whole reason he was supposedly bad last year is because his team was bad. But now his team's going to be bad, and he's going to play like an MVP. Nobody can keep their freaking story straight. But all I want to point out is that essentially what this tells us is that Bears fans are the most delusional fans in all of football. And we know this because it, a lot of things have been dug up. Once Again, a lot of people have been asleep at the wheel at this Justin Fields thing. It's been me by myself battling delusional Bears fans and a couple random people out there on TV that are saying stuff, and apparently nobody cared until this came out, and suddenly everybody cares. You know what else I've noticed? Steelers fans are very anti-Justin Fields. And I think it has something to do with Claypool. Like, I think Claypool went there and Bears fans are like, oh, we fleeced you, son. And Steelers fans are like, no, he sucks. And they've been fighting. So, like, every time I look at anything Justin Fields, Steelers fans are in there like, dude, that guy sucks. <laughs> so I, I, I appreciate Steelers fans. They've been trolling the living crap out of the Bears and the Bears fans. But a lot of people, you know, um, who was it? It was, uh, I think, Aaron Schatz from the, foot, from out, f formerly from Football Outsiders. I think he stepped down. But very data-driven guy. And I already posted my thing from uh, Sharp, uh, what's his name? Whatever, Sharp Football is his, his whole thing. He went out on a big data thing, and he showed all the data that Justin Fields is terrible. Now Aaron Schatz from DVOA went and did a, a study showing how absolutely horrible he was. I mean, it's, it's basically just, fine. I'm finally getting back up to the stuff that I've been saying for months. But he said he went and looked at DVOA, and he said there's only one person who's ever been as bad as Justin Fields for two years that went on to be average, and it was Jeff George in 1993. And by the way, I went back and looked at it because he said it at negative 20 for two years, and he's like, he's actually being nice to Justin Fields because he's been worse than that. I looked at Jeff George. I went back to look at him in 1992. He had like a negative 20 DVOA. Fields is at negative 34, I believe. So nobody has been as bad as Fields and gone on to be average. But anyways, uh, one of the other things that was dug up was... In 2019, the most votes for MVP went to Mitchell Trubisky. Most delusional fan base in football. Same exact situation for, for Trubisky. They all thought he was going to have his breakout, blah, 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 blah. And of course, now they'll say, no, we knew he was bad. We knew he was terrible. He was never that good. Yeah, like we weren't there seeing all the, you know, Mitch runs the North stuff. Anyways, sorry, I, I, I just have one more. Can I do one more, guys, please? Let me, let me, let me just have this one more, and then we're going to get right into all the new, news and notes that you are craving. I just got this. I, I uh, paid for it about a week ago, but um, speaking of Mr. Aaron Schatz and all that stuff, he released a... Uh, so now that he's not with Football Outsiders, he got some kind of a contract to release his yearly football F uh, almanac thing. But he's doing it over on some fantasy thing or whatever. Anyways, lots of notes that we can. I'm going to pour through about the Green Bay Packers. It's very, like, some of it, it doesn't even, I don't know. I don't even know what the, the things mean because it's all, like, STBR, PCT, like, straddle percentage? What the heck is that? So I, I, I got to dig into what some of these things mean. But I did happen to, as I'm scrolling through, just playing along, I had this thing on pause. I'm just like, oh, I've got to flip through this thing. And it's actually, you know what? Let me uh, Let me read... I haven't gotten to Aaron Rodgers or Jordan Love yet, but um, as I'm, it's in a really weird order. I don't understand the order of quarterbacks that we're going through. 
But they have Sean Clifford, and I want to read Sean Clifford real quick because it's kind of funny. Then we're going to do Justin Fields, and we'll move on. Here's what it says about Sean Clifford. Clifford was a speedy, stocky, aerosol-armed four-year starter at Penn State. My first thought was, what the heck does aerosol-armed mean? And uh, I don't know what it means, but the only thing I could think is you're just spraying it all over the place, which would be hilarious if that's what it means, and that needs to stick around forever. But he says, think Trace McSorley with a few extra protein shakes. <laughs> he says, it's fitting then that Clifford's 10,661 passing yards for the Nittany Lions surpasses McSorley's total to set the new school record. He's not a serious prospect, but the Packers need a backup quarterback who would work for peanuts and pose no threat to Jordan Love. Clifford fills both roles. If he plays, he's just mobile and heady enough to run Matt LaFleur's offense for a quarter or two before reality sets in. I found that funny. A little rude, but funny. Anyways, this is also a very... I was very confused where he was going with this because he's got all these stats about... He's got a little chart there for Fields, and then he's got two paragraphs. In the first paragraph, he spends the entire thing talking about all these other quarterbacks and just one metric, which is broken plus missed tackle rate. So broken tackles, missed tackles, combining them together, and what rate, what percentage of the time when you run do you either break or force a missed tackle? Why are you spending an entire paragraph talking about that one thing and mostly talking about other quarterbacks? It makes sense when we get into the second um, paragraph. I'm going to read both of them. Fields' broken plus missed tackle rate of 30% per SIS just fell short of Lamar Jackson's 2019 rate of 30.7%. The highest rate among quarterbacks with 50 or more carries in a season belongs to Marcus Mariota in 2018, 31.4% on 54 rushes. Josh Allen, 2021, ranks fourth in recent times list at 28.7%. In 2021, jo uh, Jackson ranks fifth at 28.6%. Carson Wentz appears twice in the top 10, illustrating that broken tackles can help a bad decision maker and inaccurate passers stay in the lineup, but only for so long. So again, it was, it was very weird. That's just the first paragraph. Very weird. Because it's like, okay, Marcus Mariota, Josh Allen, J Jackson twice, Carson Wentz. Why are we talking about what rate other quarterbacks have had. Then it says, Fields' broken plus missed tackle percentage was just 12.7% uh, as a rookie in 2021. Remember, it was 30% last year, so it went from 127 to 30% last year. It says, Jackson's rate fell to 23.4% last year. A broken slash missed tackle rate hovering near 30% probably represents the extreme high end of even the most elusive quarterback range, uh, range of results. Losing a handful of broken tackles for fields likely means losing a handful of explosive 20-plus yard runs, which will put even more pressure on his improvement as a passer. The fact that we probably saw fields at his absolute career best as a runner last week is one more reason to be somewhere between cautious and skeptical about him moving forward. I've talked about this in a lot of other categories and in a lot of other contexts. I didn't notice this, but think back to, you know... Um, Peak Jair, peak resume, peak, peak whatever. Anytime somebody has a pretty solid baseline, and this isn't necessarily the case with Fields, but you see this spike and you can identify a spike. And this is common throughout statistics. It's the same with the Vikings when they won, you know, 13 one score games or whatever stupid stat it is. You see that as an unbelievably high end of a, of a spectrum that is almost always followed by a falling off because nobody is able to maintain these extreme highs. Fields had that last year. And so I think a, a lot of the conversation has centered around, okay, so what he did last year as a runner is exactly what he is. And he's always going to be that as a runner. 
In fact, I have even maybe overhyped Justin Fields as a runner, saying he might be the best runner in all of football. Well, that's just based on last year, and it assumes that he stays that high forever. But according to this, his ability to break tackles and force missed tackles was on the extreme end. And we've seen it before, but only by players for one year, and then they fall off. And again, Justin Fields in his first year was just 12%. And so again, if, if, if he follows... Lamar Jackson's trajectory, which he was actually higher, he went from 30.7% in 2019, and then I don't know what it was those years in between, but this past year, it was 23.4%. So if you have that same drop for Fields, that's going to make a big difference in his ability to actually run the ball, which means you're going to probably, there's almost a guarantee you're going to see a decrease in his rushing. Just based on the, the statistical odds of him being able to repeat as far as how many broken and missed tackles he had. It's, 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 it's very, 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 very unlikely. On top of that, the only way they're going to move forward is if they actually pass the ball more, which means he has to run the ball less. If they run the ball with him as much as they did last year, then they're still just a run-first team, and run-first teams don't win football games. Again, number one rushing team, number 32 passing team. If you want to repeat that, you will fail again. You have to run less and pass more. So his rushing will decrease. Very, very likely that it, that it decreases. And so again, now it comes down to, okay, can you be a better passer? Because if not, you're just going to completely fall off a cliff. If he has not improved as a passer, you're going to see three straight years of being a bad passer. And remember, he got worse, despite all the media narrative, by every single possible metric that you can look at as far as data and analytics, he got worse from 2021 to 2022 as a passer. The only reason for the hype is his rushing, which again, was a bit of a fluke. So what happens when his rushing returns back down to a little bit more of a normal rate, and his passing doesn't improve? I think the answer to the question is he's probably gone, but there you go. Alright, tell you what, why don't we take a break, and uh, we'll come back and go through some of the notes. Please remember to check out grassfedcooperative.com. You can have some high-quality grass-fed beef delivered directly to your doorstep. Use promo code PACKER10, capital P, PACKER10, for 10% off. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, so starting with the presser, not a ton. He mentioned something about a wrinkle for family night. I don't know what that means, so there's nothing much to really mention about it. Um, he did say through the preseason games he wants to have a featured back. In other words, everybody's going to get an opportunity to be the guy. So that'll be good. We'll, we'll get an opportunity to really see, you know, Patrick Taylor, Tyler Goodson, Lou Nichols. They're each going to get one opportunity to, uh, to be the guy. Really make sure they get that uh, correct. 
Um, he did talk about that center situation again, um, essentially saying Josh has done a really good job, but we need more consistency. So they really are going to push that issue. It's a way of, of really pushing Josh Myers and just saying, look, you're, you're doing a good job, but the mistakes are just, they're out of control. The constant, you know, we, we saw it last time. The, the same day that he loses, he didn't officially lose his job, but they give Zach Tom the starting job. He's with the backups. We've got like two fumbled exchanges and maybe it was three. I don't know. It was a disaster. That and he got thrown on his back by uh, Devontae Wyatt. So, you know, I mean, when, when consistency is the big issue and the one issue all through training camp has been consistency. You know, again, I've, I've been very confident in saying what I think the offensive line is going to be. But at some point, Josh Myers has to give the Packers what they're asking him for. And whether that means losing his job to Zach Tom or losing his job to a future draft pick or something, or free agent or whatever, I don't know. If he's going to be the guy that the Packers want him to be, he needs to be more consistent. So just something to keep an eye on. And again, I want him to do that. I mean, everybody does, but I specifically do because I, I genuinely think Josh Myers is a good center aside from, obviously, the mistakes. And I think Zach Tom would make a good tackle. And I don't want to take a good tackle and throw him into the center spot and then use a backup tackle and put him back to the right tackle spot just because Josh Myers is, is not able to clean up the fumbled exchanges and whatnot. That's just such a misallocation of resources because the guy can't clean up some mistakes. Uh, Matt highlighted TJ Slayton and Jonathan Ford specifically. And actually, I, I just found out, I talked about how everybody has a note. That is the actual, literal first note I have of Jonathan Ford. I have not heard, it doesn't mean he hasn't done a good job. It's just nobody, he hasn't done anything worth tweeting about, apparently, through this entire period. We've got 700 Devontae, Wyatt, Colby Wooden, Carl Brooks, Kenny Clark, TJ Slayton notes. Zero about Jonathan Ford. And it's still, I still technically have zero as far as training camp notes. The only thing I have right now is, is um, Matt LaFleur saying he's upped his game. And then the final thing that um, Matt talked about a lot was was trying to hurry, get more urgency to the line. And, and the reason I found that relevant is because on that same Aaron Schatz guide or whatever, one of the things that I was, as I was perusing through some of the Packers stats, they ranked really, really, really poorly in offensive pace last year. So from, you know, getting the call so from Matt picking a call, communicating the call, getting the call in, Rogers communicating the call, getting everybody set, making the changes in the, in the communication, and then all the motion and whatever else that they've got going on, they were one of the worst in terms of, again, offensive pace. So, and one of the reasons I highlighted, aside from the fact that I noticed it, because, I mean, nobody even bothered to tweet it, they found it a boring question, but it was the way that Matt answered it. A lot of these is just kind of like, oh, yeah, he looks, you know, same with like the Jonathan Ford, you know, like, oh, yeah, whatever. Just, it's just a thing that he said. But he perks up and immediately starts shaking his head and is like, yeah, 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 like definitely. I mean, it, you can tell that this is something that he really genuinely agrees with, is that they need to do a better job of being urgent and getting the calls communicated, getting to the line, getting the set, and getting the playoff. Getting into training camp, um... No David Bakhtiari today. I think they're resting him up for family night so he can make an appearance. Uh, Josiah DeGuara is actually out with a calf injury, so we've got a new addition to the injury thing. However, Tay Wicks is back, so it'll be good getting him back into the rotation, get a little bit of, uh, get some eyes on him to kind of see where he stacks up over these next couple weeks. Jumping into some 1v1, Melton with a great route versus Nixon, but slightly high and dropped. Kraft beats Ford with a nice move, but overthrown. Davis and Owens, good battle deep, incomplete. 
Valentine pass breakup versus Ture. Jire, great coverage on Watson incomplete. Just killing it so far. Reed complete on a short out versus Gaines. Douglas all over Dobbs incomplete. Wicks just broke Thomas's ankles. Holy moly is my interpretation of that. So just to recap, we got a high pass, an overthrown pass, incomplete, pass breakup, incomplete, short completion, incomplete, and that's it. So sweet. <laughs> Aaron Negler says, Yash takes care of Hollins, then Elton blanks Kenny in one-on-ones. Wyatt just put Runyon in the spin cycle for a win. Runyon wins the second rep. Sean Ryan looks dot 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 good question mark. He did this last time too, and I don't know what that means. So we'll just, I guess, move on. Um, Andy Herman continuing with a few one-on-one notes. Musgrave didn't, uh, Musgrave catch, didn't see who it was against. Levitt picked off a tip pass. Heath with a long catch versus Shamar Jean Charles. Davis beats Sap. Great coverage by Nixon on Bo Melton. Bonds with a nice route and catch. Valentine with a win over Ture. Watson with a step deep versus Jair, but overthrown and incomplete. Musgrave with a deep catch versus uh, Anthony Johnson. One with speed, good separation. Wow play by Reed versus Gaines for a quick comeback. Then we've got uh, Heath beats Shamar Jean Charles again. Valentine, great jam on Watts. Melton finally beats Nixon with a nice route. Douglas with an unreal read and pass breakup versus Dobbs. Incomplete deep to Kraft versus Owens. Valentine goes 3 for 3 against Ture. Wes Hodkowitz says, Caleb Jones continues to impress me. No real context to what that's about. Ryan Wood says, I've watched Sean Ryan in 1v1s in two of the three days. He's 8-0 in reps. Beat Colby Wooden three straight times today. Awfully impressive for last year's third-round pick. Negler says, uh, Myers at center, Tom at right tackle to start teams. Two solid reps from Zach Tom versus Preston Smith. Smothered a spin move against the Packers' top edge rusher both times. Toss left to Aaron Jones, lost his footing, shaken up and being looked at by the trainer. Never want to hear anything like that. Love incomplete rolling left to Musgrave to start. Jones stumbles in the backfield in the next play. That was the one where he got injured. Ford and Owens with the starters at safety. Love scrambles. Nice read by Quay to stop for minimal gain. I think this is the first time we've seen it says Ford and Owens with the starters at safety. It says, well, yeah, I guess with the starting team. So in place of Savage, they've put in Jonathan Owens. No, I would not get too excited about it. However, since it's the first time, does that mean we put Rudy Ford ahead of Darnell Savage? If that's the first time you rotate out of safety with somebody else? But it, it, either way, it does solidify having Jonathan Owens as number three. I'm going to do it just for fun. I know it's reading entirely too much into it, but what else am I going to do? I haven't touched this thing in like a week. Etling cans the play, but ball goes short to Melton on a run alert. Little reverse toss to Dobbs to the right, well-designed and well-blocked. Lead blocker was Tyler Davis, whose face is currently covered in blood, which would surely be intimidating. Herman mentioned that they stopped that play pretty immediately for some reason. I'm guessing the reason had to do with the tight end being covered in blood. Um, He goes on to say, Brooks and Wooden with immediate pressure for a would-be sack on Etling. Those two have really made an impression. It's got to be a cool sight to see both of them come in on a pressure. Shamar Jean Charles, nice read on an intended flare pass. Clifford has to keep for no gain. Magoo with an ugly attempt down the field. That ball didn't look right. False start by Telford. Jimmy Phillips has made a couple plays lately. Nice stop at the line there. Aaron Nagler says, way too many pre-snap penalties on offense today. Uh, Herman says, Carl Brooks with another dominant rep inside. He's really impressive. Eversall, Magoo on time and over the middle to Malik Heath for a nice pickup. Carlson's first kick misses from 41, wide right. 
I mean, things are just getting really bad for for this kicking. I mean, it's it is becoming a disaster. They showed prior to he's kicking sixty yard field goals. He's out there banging 50, 55, 60 yarders right through the uprights. As soon as it starts, first kick is from 41 yards out, and he misses it. I mean, it's just not good. After that, we've got, uh, he made his second kick from 43, made his third from 45 with a very high snap. Not entirely sure who the long snapper was, but again, two for three, missed on his first one. Uh, Aaron Jones, who's back in, feeling fine, says he was in for the next team series. Solid gain on a run up the middle. And then we've got Tyler Davis working in 12 with Musgrave with the ones, which I, I had mentioned to you that I had put Tyler Davis above Tucker Craft, and I didn't like doing it, and I know you didn't want to hear it, but I just think that that's the way that it is. And sure enough, with Josiah DeGuara out with injury, it's Tyler Davis, not Tucker Craft, that is the one-two punch at tight end. Then we got Love complete short out to Dobbs, not much pace on the ball, but easily complete. Love check down to Dylan. Love read option left, awesome blocking by Taylor Davis downfield. Tyler Davis gets praise from Matt LaFleur after the play. Nice pickup. Team period ends with the uh, best pass and catch of the day so far. Bullet from Love to read milliseconds before McDuffie can get there. Herman says Love pressured immediately. Would have been sacked by an unblocked Enigbare. Looks like Davis may have missed the assignment. Love throws away after. And then Love complete in stride to read over the middle for a really nice pickup. Beat gains inside. Uh, three of five or three of six for Love, depending on if you count the immediate sack throw away. Then we've got Carlson misses from 47 and then made 49 and 54. He's 4 of 6 today, 16 of 27 in camp. That is... I, it's it's bad. <laughs> so far in camp, he's at 59.3%. The lowest field goal percentage of any kicker out of 42 kickers was 60%. So the worst field goal percentage of any kicker was Austin Siebert in Detroit at 60%, which is just a shade over where our kicker is at at 59%. We could try to make some kind of a thing out of, well, it's training camp, like that means something. Maybe it's because there's more 50-yarders than you probably would have, which is fair. Not a whole lot of 30-yard kicks in, in uh, camp like there are in, uh, in training camp. But even if you look at it just from a 50-yard standpoint, there are 34 kickers. Out of that, only five were lower. And if we remove the kickers that um, didn't kick very much, four were lower at 50%. And then Robbie Gold, who was the 30th ranked kicker, was at 63.6%. Even 50 yarders, 24 kickers, had a better field goal percentage from 50 yards plus than our kicker currently has. Cade York was 57. Greg Zerline, 54. Bullock was 50, Harrison Butker 43, Greg Joseph 40, Jason blah 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 all the way down to Cameron Dicker who was uh, 0 for 1. So any way you want to slice this, it ain't good. Even from 40 yards out, you're shooting for at least 80%. He's at 59. Wes Hodkowitz did mention that the snap was off uh, from 57. So it sounds like we have kicker issues and we have snapper issues. And so this is going to be a very serious problem. I don't know what Mason, what it would take to get Mason back, but at this point, we got to explore the option because <laughs> we're, oh my good Lord. Um, Pat O'Donnell booming some punts today. I'm sure Domofsky will have numbers. Andy Herman predicts Jaden Reed will house a punt in the preseason, so go ahead and bookmark that one. By the way, that was the only uh, Pat O'Donnell note that I've had so far this preseason. Uh, Wes Hodkowitz says that John Owens has been running with Savage on the back end today, so there goes that. 
I don't know if that switched or if somebody misunderstood or what, but, you know, whatever. I don't know. Either way, Jonathan Owens is safety three. All right, Savage is probably still number one, but I'm going to leave it for today because I want to accomplish something on my 53 chart here today, okay? I want to do something today. Nagler says, while uh, they have been erratic kicker moments, the Packers have two legit punters. There has been a ton of hype about uh, Daniel Whelan. Love completes to Watson on a little screen outside. Doesn't go for much as Jonathan Owens is all over. It sounds like today is let's just throw screens day. Dylan with a power run for a first down in the four-minute offense situation on third down. Offense wins the period with the ones. Not sure I fully understand how this game worked, but I guess they needed a first down. I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, Ryan Wood says Packers put Jordan Love through a four-minute offense. Just need a first down. A.J. Dillon ran for three yards, then a screen for four yards, and then Dillon for four, game over. I mean, my goodness. (laughs) And also, uh, apparently Bill Huber says that there was a very generous spot on second down, and they got exactly 11 yards. Whatever. I guess uh, guess we'll take that as a win for the offense. You know the other thing that's annoying? There have been times when the offense has looked really good, but then they lost that competition, so the offense lost the day. Today, the offense has been garbage. For the most part, like it just seems bad, and, and all the completions and the few instances where they are are mostly screen passes or little dump-off passes. But what, today the defense has to do push-ups for kicking the crap out of the offense all day? I think that's stupid. Anyways, continuing on, Eric Wilson with a big-time run fit on Nichols on first down. Nichols takes two straight hits. He comes out a little shaken up. Third and five for the offense. Need a first down to win the period. Etling to craft incomplete defense wins. Hodkwood says, so much explosion still to Aaron Jones' game in year seven. Springiness, don't talk about that enough. All right, one's back on the field, running it again. Same four-minute scenario, need a first down to win the period. First and ten. Jones, toss outside for a nice pickup. He may have picked up more in game, but they blew it dead. Second and six. Nice run by Taylor inside, third and three. Razul just took the ball and spotted it two yards back with nobody noticing. I think they'll fix it. Taylor runs hard for three inside for a first down. Win for the offense. So this time, they do three straight runs. So it was run, screen, run, 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 run. Again, I hate to nitpick, but we're turning into the Chicago Bears here. Hey, look, we tried the passing thing. It's not working. Let's just throw short passes and run the ball a lot. Hey, we're having success. Let's just keep doing it. Let's actually do it more. All right, two-minute drill time. Down seven on your own 35. First and 10, minute 50 left, one timeout. Clifford is first. Incomplete screen to Goodson. Good Lord, we can't even complete the screens now. Melton drop on an inside throw would have been about a five-yard pickup. Wonderful. Clifford with a dart to Melton over the middle for about 15, who redeems himself for the drop. Goodson on a short crosser. Melton complete on a slant. Goodson takes a short pass and turns on the Jets for a huge play. and almost touchdown, but they call him down at the eight. I don't know how... Okay. 40, 40 seconds left. Clifford incomplete wide to Heath. Nobody really open. Cox pressure, but Clifford finds Wilson ceiling, stealing deep down the right sideline, just slightly overthrown, incomplete. Third down, looked like a false start, no call. Clifford incomplete to Heath, great coverage, false start, so technically back-to-back. Craft complete down to the one, great contested catch. Clifford to Heath, complete on a slant against Valentine for a touchdown. Awesome drive for Clifford, very fun to watch. AO, I would love to watch that. In fact, I'm actually pretty pumped to watch Clifford play in the preseason. That dude was fun to watch in college. I know everybody's like, this dude's a bum. He's never going to be a this, that, or the... I don't care, man. He was... He's like a... He's like Brett Favre light. I think he's going to be fun to watch. All right, we got Love up next on the two-minute drill. Down seven on your own 35, first and 10. 150 left, one timeout. Love to Dobbs on a comeback. 12 yards, first down. Love tries to hit Watson over the middle. Quay gets a finger on it. Incomplete. 
Watson has a quarter step on Douglas, but Douglas connects, but Douglas contexts, whatever that means. Love hits Watson perfectly on a deep post. Great coverage, great throw. I'd call it a drop. Incomplete to Dobbs on third down. Razul is fired up, fourth and ten. Love scrambles for a first down. Douglas with an awesome jam on Musgrave. Things are getting a little testy. Taylor run inside, short gain. Bo Melton complete on a slant, timeout. 40 seconds left, first and 10, ball on the defense is 31. Complete to Musgrave for 7-ish, clock ticks. Spike the ball, ball on the 20, 10 seconds left, second and 10. Love tries to hit a shot over the middle, but Owens breaks it up. Love tries to hit Ture, gave him a decent chance, looked like AJJ might have got there early, no call, defense wins. Herman says we've got a live tackling period for the young guys, Emmanuel Wilson with an awesome freaking run breaking a bunch of tackles. Best run of camp. Fun play. Wes Hodquit says, Tyler Goodson just broke a 38-yard touchdown in live period. This came immediately after all those broken tackles by Emmanuel Wilson. Andy Herman says, um, young backs are showing up. Kenneth Odomegwu breaking down and making a move outside tackle of Taylor. I have no idea what that sentence means, but it's the first time I've seen Odomegwu. A uh, couple from Herman, he says, Carl Brooks in the backfield again. That's at least three times today. Odomegwu holds his own and sets a nice edge, nice run stop. I'm guessing that's what was referred to before. Telfort's second false start. He is right on the edge of getting cut here. Wooden pressure. Tariq drops a pick from Magoo. Hate to see that, man. I haven't heard anything from Tariq, and now we got a, a dropped pick. And that does it for practice. Fun one today. That was a two-hour and five-minute practice. Longest of camp so far. A lot of talk, I didn't read a lot of the notes, but um, a lot of talk about Razul Douglas jawing big time. He was snapping at the offensive line. He was going off on everybody, and I guess he's kind of known for that. I was watching Razul did an interview with somebody, and they were talking about how he's such a calm guy. Like, he's not a trash talker or anything else, but on the field, he's a big-time trash talker. I forgot who he's talking to, but uh, the guy was like, that's really rare to have such a nice guy be such a trash talker on the field. But... Um, Matt Schneiman says, Razul Douglas was talking so much crap to the offense sideline during starting defense two-minute drill win against starting offense. That was a heck of a sentence there. Said he was getting pretty vulgar with it. Aaron Jones had to come on the field and calm him down. Razul Douglas now dapping up every offensive player in the post-practice huddle. Good banter today. And I, th- I think that's what it is. Razul always talk, but he's a good dude. And I think everybody on that team likes him and knows he's a good dude. He's not just some big mouth D-bag like... Uh, you know, George Pickens out in, in, in Pittsburgh. I'm guessing the defense just freaking hates that guy. But anyways, the offense did technically win on those running plays, so the defense is doing up-downs. Either way, this was a very clear, in my opinion, very clear defense won the day, like in totality. However, I think it's fair because I do think there were times when the offense won the day but lost the drill. And even in some of those like two-minute drills, the offense just flies down the field and they end in a field goal, and that's a loss for the offense. So it's like, I, I mean, I guess if, if you have to get a touchdown, but they got multiple first downs, they got down the field into the 30-yard line, kicked a field goal. I mean, honestly, if you have to get a touchdown to win the drill, why wouldn't you just go for a, try to go for it on fourth down? I, you know, If all you need is a field goal, you kick a field goal, why didn't you win the drill? I don't know, but whatever. Offense won. I think it's good that they basically gave them a gimme, just get a first down and you win because I'm getting tired of everybody saying the Packers offense hasn't won yet. Because Again, partially because it's not necessarily true, in the sense that it's not true that the offense is just getting whooped by the defense every single day. That's not the case. It's mostly the case, but it's not entirely the case. Andy Herman's players of the day, Tyler Goodson, Carl Brooks, and Razul Douglas. 
Anyways, I'm going to leave you guys with that. Another day in the banks. I need to uh, get in here and start breaking down some of the different details and whatnot. So that'll be coming soon. Have a good rest of your night. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.